my name is Anna Marie Boyd, and you are listening to Moved by Grace Counseling Radio. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Anna Boyd. If you haven't been here before, I'm a licensed professional counselor, a registered drama therapist, a registered yoga teacher, and a PhD candidate in mind-body medicine with a specialization in integrative mental health. My podcast will supply nuggets of information regarding innovative and somatic approaches to mental health treatment. In just 10 minutes each episode, we talk about creative therapies, neuroscience and play, spirituality, mind-body connection, and alternative approaches to psychotherapy. So for today's episode, we are going to be broaching a topic that can be highly emotionally charged, to put it lightly, and lives in the gray area of personal morals. So this is a topic rich in ethics, integrity, and competence, and today we're delving into the area of integrating spirituality and or religion within psychotherapy. So I want to start this off by addressing a biased grievance. (laughs) So for many years, I've worked as a psychotherapist in many different settings, and if you're unfamiliar with the term EHR, this is an acronym for Electronic Health Records. If you work for a well, if you work with a competent therapist, I can assure you that they use a professional EHR system for things like scheduling, billing, and documentation. So within most of these EHR systems, there are templates that are pre-populated for things like the initial psychosocial assessment or progress notes. So this is usually your first session with a counselor, the psychosocial assessment. So why am I sharing all of this jargon with you? Because the sections represented in the majority of these templates include things like family history, a medication management, personal health history, substance use history, yada, yada, yada. But very rarely, if ever, is there a section to assess religious or spiritual backgrounds. Sometimes there's one uh, called cultural considerations, but again, these, these are all very different things. So with that in mind, I always ask my clients about this aspect of their history, as well as their present relationship with these life domains. This is gathering data, right? So whether you are a Southern Baptist or an atheist, Your world perception has shaped your worldview and your internal value system. I firmly believe that it is a disservice to omit or overlook this layer. I can understand, right? Maybe you are coming to counseling to address the panic attacks you have been happening. But if we focus solely on the symptomology, the panic attacks, we are omitting many of the layers that could be underneath that. So to the question at hand, how and when do we integrate spirituality or religion into the realm of psychotherapy? So there is an association known as the Spiritual, Ethical, and Religious Values in Counseling, um, and they have coined the term spiritual competency to address a counselor's ability to ethically and effectively broach the concept of spiritual or religious issues with their clients and patients. Their acronym is 
ASERVIC, A-S-E-R-V-I-C. So this organization is a group of counselors who see the value in integrating these conversations into counseling for the overall development of each person. They actually developed an assessment to determine a counselor's level of quote-unquote spiritual competency in conjunction with other forms of psychotherapy. So this personal assessment can be a really effective tool for increasing self-awareness on behalf of the counselor around integrating spiritual and religious issues within the counseling realm. So to summarize this assessment that was fabricated by Acervic, competency is broken down into sections or factors. Um, this tool identifies data about culture, human and spiritual development, communication, assessment and diagnosis, and treatment for the evaluated counselor. You can actually look up this assessment online if you're interested in knowing more. But Interestingly, I went back to the rule book for licensed professional counselors in Texas, as well as the, um, the Mississippi state statutes, because I'm licensed in both of those states. Um, the Texas rule book is 136 pages. Incredibly, <laughs> when it comes, when I searched for the key terms of spirituality and religion, only one phrase emerged. And that is in regards to the requirements for continuing education. There's a section regarding cultural diversity hours. So there's an option to pursue continuing ed in age, disability, ethnicity, gender, identity, language, uh, national origin, race, here we go, religion, <laughs> culture, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic status. That's all that there is in the rule book regarding um, the conversations around religion and spirituality. So Elkins described the journey of therapists when they leave graduate school as embarking on a new kind of learning and knowledge that integrates, I love this phrase, the laboratory of the soul. He actually, in his book, and I can reference this in the notes, but he attempts to define the soul. He references ancient Greek lore and philosophy to tackle this, and he defines psychotherapy as a vessel for healing and containing the soul. His consistent references to art as a window to the soul align with my own education and creative arts therapies, also just the things that I enjoy. So in layman's terms, art can help the soul within to emerge. Y'all, there's a reason we connect with nature. There's a reason we connect with a painting. There's a reason that we read a poem and go, oh my gosh, that resonates. And um, this theory can help us understand why we might feel chill bumps when we hear a particular song or uh, maybe when a play cultivates tears. So like art, psychotherapy can be a space to understand and question the state of our, stoles, of our souls. You cannot tell me that you can have a holistic experience within the realm of psychotherapy without assessing your relationship to spirituality and religion. So there is some research that explores the desire for spirituality spiritual needs to be met, particularly in the research that I read within the population of terminally ill patients, as well as the consequences of ignoring these spiritual needs. 
He also determined um, why physicians and nurses claim to understand the importance of integrating spirituality and religion, yet they did not have substantial follow-through. And according to the data, most nurses and physicians equated this to a lack of time as well as a lack of training in these areas. So counselors are also in the realm of healing professions. However, the role of a counselor is a professional relationship that empowers diverse individuals, families, and groups to accomplish mental health, wellness, and education and career goals. So we must assume that if one core aspect of the therapeutic relationship is to explore the soul, the counselor requires as much data about the person as possible. So failing to inquire about the spiritual health of the client is dismissing potentially integral information about this client's worldview. So the more that we can understand a client's worldview, the more that we can comprehend the quote-unquote core of the individual. So that kind of gives you an overview of why I believe the integration of these um, systems are so important within the realm of psychotherapy. You don't have to come to psychotherapy to assess, right, like religious trauma. Maybe you are. But I'm not saying that that has to be the case whatsoever. But if we don't analyze this data as a part of the equation, sometimes when I'm talking to clients, I think about our lives are like a a thousand piece puzzle, right? And all of these little pieces of information are what's shaping the picture of the puzzle. So we want to take that into account. Um, Again, whether a counselor is trained right within a seminary, religious issues, I believe that the relationship between man and God, whether or not that's something that you believe in, emulates a relationship like any other relationship you have. So suppose the relationship is a sign of strength and hope for a client. In that case, a counselor could presume that the relationship between the client and their spirituality and religion is a form of social support. So Whereas if a relationship with a higher power is eating away at the individual's sense of self, that could be um, examined further. So when it comes to my approach to the integration of faith and spirituality, I don't, this is not a topic that I shy away from in session. If a client brings up the topic of religion and spirituality, I believe that it is vital for us to address. I use modalities of specialty and which I'm trained to promote curiosity around these topics. So whether we are using right cognitive behavioral therapy, creative arts therapy, emotionally focused therapy, all of these modalities allow that client to explore their own spiritual questions and concerns. So it's not my job to provide advice on how you should live, right? Instead, it's my job to create space for the client to explore their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own emotions. My role is critical to define to the client. My role as a clinician is critical to define. They need to understand what my job is and what it is not. So this allows both of us to understand the expectations of meetings and session outcomes. So again, if a client is seeking religious counsel based on scripture specifically, This might be a case where I can refer the client to a more highly trained specialist, really. That's my um, ethical uh, 
consultation that I have to look at a little bit further, right? Do I have the training? Do I have the resources to provide the needs of what this client is asking for? And of course, I know this is a little bit longer of an episode. There's just so much, obviously there's so much that goes into this, but this begs the question of, right, what marks a specialist? Clinicians, I believe, should engage their own self-awareness to assess whether or not they're working within their scope of practice. Now that is referenced in the the guidelines, the state statutes. So for example, some master's degrees in counseling do not offer training in religious issues beyond traditional equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, In his book, Trusting in Psychotherapy, Allen describes the importance of exercising cultural humility when addressing religious and spiritual issues. He used another phrase that encompasses the posture of a counselor when addressing spiritual issues. Um, He coined the notion of, and I love this, spiritually conscious care. While the exploration serves to address my personal ethical structure for spiritual issues, this module explicitly asks about um, the integration of spirituality. This episode is about how do we go about having those conversations? Um, So as a creative arts therapist, my background and training was in the realm of drama therapy specifically. Um, Robert J. Landy, who was one of my professors and used to be the dean of the department NYU, is one of the Western founders of drama therapy in America. You can go back to the first episode of this podcast ever where we talk about what drama therapy is, but for the purposes of this, episode, um, I do want to share he devised what's called a role taxonomy, which speaks to the various roles that we play and shift through during our lives. He collected um, major thematic roles that appeared in Western literature to create role theory. Now, obviously, the taxonomy is rather outdated, um, but I have had um, actually even a colleague of mine who developed the BART. Shout out to Mr. Adam Stevens. He is incredibly brilliant and creative, but the BART is the Black American role taxonomy that he updated for um, African American roles specifically. So that's just one extension of this role theory. But to go back to the point, (laughs) some of the roles included in this taxonomy are things like spiritual person, the lost person, person of faith, If the client chooses to identify these roles as a part of their present identity, we can explore them with curiosity. So often this leads to discussions about how their relationship with spirituality and religion has evolved and shaped them. This also allows us to explore how they may have been harmed within these roles or due to sharing or not sharing their affiliation with this aspect of their identity. So this is just one example of how I, me, personally integrate conversations um, into psychotherapy. And then another way that I've integrated it into my therapy sessions is through metaphor. Um, With informed consent, there are many clients within my practice who actively, they want to integrate their chosen religion affiliation into psychotherapy. Um, And I work for a Christian-based practice, so they're coming there with that expectation usually, not all the time. Um, One successful way I've found to explore this is through the characters of the Bible, right? If there's a specific issue that we're targeting, I've found it helpful to relate my client's stories to characters within the Bible 
to help them feel less isolated and their experiences are their pain. That's important to note. Their story is not the story we are referencing. They are different stories. But for example, say I'm working with a woman who's getting ready to get married and she is fearful of the inevitable changes. Maybe that's leading to anxiety or insomnia. Now there's a book within the Old Testament called Song of Solomon. This book is a book of poetry. It explores the depths of love between a woman and her new husband, and it explores the human experience of a woman named Rhina, who's getting married to her husband Solomon. This book normalizes anticipating change and stepping into a new life role. So this is a character that I might reference in a session to ask more questions. Uh, My client's story will be unique, but it's possible that they may be able to relate to the emotions addressed within the book to assess their own emotions. Um, So again, there's another book of the Bible called Proverbs. Um, The Proverbs were written after King Solomon's life to offer practical wisdom and advice regarding morals and how to live life with God as the all-powerful deity. So again, with informed consent, this book is complete with short sayings and statements about holy ways to approach challenges in life. So with experiencing contemplative meditation from my yoga teacher training, I often use in my own life too, Proverbs to engage focus and attention towards certain verses. I allow my clients autonomy to choose a carrot of wisdom and we use these phrases as lifelines to give them direction and to calm their nervous system. Um, These are truths to come back to, to ground them. In the past, I've also created battle cards to write down truths and provide them with a tangible tool and a reminder to leave the therapy office with in hand. Um, So again, as a counselor, I I seldom use the word should or must. But addressing topics around ethics requires competency and careful consideration on the practitioner's part. Counselors should, I believe, should exercise care and caution when delving into religious and spiritual issues with patients. And it is not enough for a trained counselor who identifies with a spiritual religious subgroup to blindly use theology within sessions. That is very dangerous. Um, There's actually a lot of churches who do this, right? Well-intentioned churches, but they will take buzzwords from psychology um, without the proper training. So that can also be dangerous, right? The integration of religious and spirituality must always be considered during the assessment phase. Again, this is according to me, (laughs) of a working therapeutic relationship. Still, integrating spiritual practices and religion within this context must be carefully considered. It is not enough to ask the question, is this in the best interest of my client, right? Because we have bias. What we may deem appropriate may or may not serve the needs or be ethically responsible. So we must assess our clients from a non-biased, humanistic perspective to allow them autonomy to decide what they're comfortable integrating and what they're not. Having a license in counseling does not give the practitioner the power to decide what is best for the client. That is a conversation with the client. They are the main character in their story. We, the role of a counselor at its core is to serve the client and engage with them alongside their own journey of healing and discovery. So when there is proper informed consent, 
and the counselor and the client both agree that an exploration of spirituality and religion would be helpful, only then is it appropriate to use interventions in which the therapist is properly trained to move the client forward to their personal therapeutic goals. So it has taken me a long time to really come up with where I stand and how I ground myself in the psychotherapy realm, but I hope this podcast serves to help you understand where I come from, um, what my lens is, and how I approach religion and spirituality. Um, I've heard really amazing stories of this integration. I've also heard really unfortunate stories. Um, just because you go into a religiously affiliated institution, that doesn't mean that that is something that you're comfortable with addressing, especially like right off the bat. Maybe that's something you have to work towards. Um, and again, that depends on the rapport and the relationship between the therapist and the client. But those are my thoughts. Um, I would love, 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 love some feedback on this. I would love to hear your stories, uh, positive experiences, harmful experiences, whatever you feel like would be helpful for our listeners. Um, also, if you want to be interviewed on this podcast, um, I am a story lover. I seek to understand people's experiences uh, to help me shape my own worldview. So I hope you found this interesting and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.